Well, good morning to you in Maranatha. I had someone that paid us an extreme, extreme compliment here not too long ago. And I really appreciate it. And part of it is because we always start the week out reminding one another that our Lord comes. That's what Maranatha means. And this individual told me, they said, you know, I've been to a lot of churches around St. Louis, but your church is the most rapture-ready church that I've been to. And I think that is quite a compliment. You know, God's Word tells us that we, it, there's a special reward. There's a, there's a reward of a crown of righteousness reserved for all those who love His appearing. And boy, do we love the idea of His appearing one day here at St. Louis Bible Fellowship. So I appreciate the fact that some people have noticed that this church is rapture ready. And I hope so this morning. I hope you are. I hope that if the rapture were to take place this very moment, that you wouldn't be looking around at an empty... Well, I hope you're looking around... God, how do you say that? That's sort of like... I hope there's no one here looking around. But if you are, uh, know that you can come to know the Lord Jesus as your Savior before it's eternally too late, right this very moment. Well, today I want us to continue with our study of Christ of the book. You know, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 7, it says, In the volume of the book, it's written of me, the Lord Jesus talks about. Luke 24, verse 44, he talks about the fact that in the prophets, in the Psalms, uh, you will find him. He, they're all about him. Uh, in John 5, verse 19, it talks about the fact that, that it, you search the scriptures because what they reveal is the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. From Genesis to Revelation, and that's the thing that we are going to be pointing out for the next several months as we go through this study. Continuing our study of Christ of the book. Uh, what we're going to be finding out and realizing as we go through this is not only are we locating and finding Christ, uh, each book of the Bible, but we're reviewing and summarizing each book of the Bible. That's fun. That's entertaining. Slow. It's slow. It's going to take us a while to get through this, but there is so much glorious, wonderful truth that as members of the body of Christ, we need to understand what it is that God's Word tells us and teaches us. Uh, in the bulletin this morning, there should have been a document, or chronicle, the Old Testament and chronicled uh, for us. Uh, I say should have been because I forgot to do it. But you, we do have some back on the back. Do you guys, did somebody put those in the bulletin? Anybody not get one of those, uh, the order of the Old Testament? If you have one, hold it up. Okay, I need to know who's on the ball here. That is excellent. Thank you. If you don't have one, they're in the back. Make sure you get one before you leave because it's going to help make it clear what we're about to enter into the phase that we are about to enter into is we take up 1 Samuel, and the truth of the matter is, First and Second Samuel, in the Hebrew Scripture, they're the same book. It was not First and Second Samuel. 
nor was it first and second kings, nor was it first and second chronicles. It was Samuel. It was kings. It was chronicles. And so we're going to look at each one of those as one book. We're going to look at Samuel this morning as one book. We're going to look at Kings as one book and Chronicles as one book as we go, as we go through that. And in the book of Samuel, we find Christ Jesus as being the uh, faithful proclaimer, the faithful proclaimer of truth. Uh, Samuel is a type of Christ, uh, not only in his, his birth being miraculous, uh, and, and a blessing, uh, but so many different ways as Samuel stood and spoke for the Lord, uh, completely sold out on the behalf of, of God. And so as we go through this, we see that, that Samuel is a type of, of Christ in the first part of the book of Samuel. The second part, which could second Samuel, it's David. And David is a type of Christ. And here it's his sovereign rule, but also his faithful proclamation of God's faithfulness and the importance of obedience. Really, from Genesis to Revelation, I think the key that we need to keep in mind as we go through the entire Scripture is the emphasis on faithfulness, obedience, God's blessing, and seeing the contrast when people follow what God's purpose and plan is and obey Him versus when they don't. And the trouble, the difficulty, the hard times that mankind gets into when he neglects following God's Word. God has revealed Himself in His Word. And we need to understand, especially when you get into Second Samuel and some of the things in Chronicles, uh, some of those things are harsh. Some of those things are difficult to read. Some of those things really bring out the corruption of man, even those that are ruling, even those that are, are desiring to, to rule God's people and do God's will. The temptations, the difficulties, uh, it's all there. And the bottom line, again, from Genesis to Revelation, what the Scriptures point out, God's purpose and intent is for us, regardless of the dispensation, regardless of what book you're in and reading about, is that we need God. We need Him. That without Him, we are nothing. Without Him, we are lost and undone and left to our own devices. It's nothing but destruction and heartache, difficulty. We need God through all of this. And in Samuel, we find him as the faithful proclaimer. More than likely, we're not going to be able to get through uh, all of uh, Samuel today. We'll pick back up uh, next week. But the good thing about Samuel King's Chronicles, it's all one continuous story of Israel's history and what's taking place. The reason that sheet of paper that I just passed out to you is so important is because nearly all of the Old Testament, perhaps all of it except for Malachi, can fit in from starting from 2 Kings all the way to, uh, to Chronicles. The, all the prophets fit into that. Where does Isaiah fit in? We're going to find out when we're in 1 Kings. 
What about the Psalms that were written? Where, where do those fit in? Well, as we're going through 2 Samuel, we're going to be able to see. So all of those Old Testament prophets fit within 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles. That's where they fit. That, historically, that's where they prophesied. And as we go through those historical books of the Bible, we're going to see why there needed to be a prophet, why there needed to be a mouthpiece for God warning the people, cautioning them about the things that they were doing. When you get into Samuel, there are so many important events that transpired during Samuel. There's Hannah glorious story of her praying for a child. She does not have any children, and it, it was important to her. She was desperate for a child, and so she went to the tabernacle, and, and she prayed there in Shiloh for a, for a child, for a son, and God heard her, and Samuel was born, and that's, that story is fascinating. Then you have the call of Samuel, And him and going under the tutelage of Eli, the priest, the high priest. Then you have the story of the ark being captured by the Philistines and all of the things that transpired. Let me tell you, you don't want to capture the ark. You don't want to capture the ark. And these Philistines did much to their chagrin. And Israel got it back real quick, like God made sure of, of that. Then you have Saul becoming king, and Samuel making and God making sure Samuel understands that God tells Samuel, Samuel, Israel is not rejecting you because Samuel was kind of out of source. He was upset. He was the last judge the last approved judge of Israel, but the first of the prophets. First of the prophets. He, he holds an important position. And as the last judge, Israel was calling for a king. We want a king. We want a king. We want a king just like all the other nations, as if that was important. And they were like, but you're not like all other nations. You worship the true and living God. You have him to direct you. You have his judge. You have his prophet. You don't need a king, except God did have a king specially in mind for the nation of Israel. God had a king that he was going to supply. God had even told Israel, I'm going to give you a king, and it's going to be wonderful. It's going to be glorious. And when your king comes, this was back in Leviticus. God said, when you get this king, this is what you can look for. Well, he just got ahead of God. We want Saul. We want Saul. We want Saul. And God tells Samuel, they're not rejecting you, Samuel. They're rejecting me. And let me tell you, Saul was not God's anointed king. But God said, okay, if that's what you want, you go ahead. And then we have there in the book of Samuel... Saul going to the witch of Endor and doing something that was absolutely, positively not allowed. 
Something that God said, if you do this, you are going to be cut off. If you do this, you are going to be destroyed. And that was raising the dead. Uh, uh, demonic being, necromancers, uh, spiritism. And that's what the witch of Endor, Saul went to her and said, I need Samuel's words. I need Samuel's counsel. Samuel's dead, by the way, this time. And Saul says to the witch of Endor, would you, would you bring Samuel back up from the grave? Well, Samuel was already with the Lord. This demon, this demon that came up out of the grave to answer Saul was a big no-no. Now, there's a big theological discussion. Was this Samuel? Was this truly Samuel? Did she have the power to do this? Was this a demon? I tend to believe that it was a demon. But here's what it shows. It shows there's a reason God says don't do this. Don't involve yourself in spiritism. Don't involve yourself in witchcraft. Don't involve yourself in the supernatural things that are not scriptural Saul did that so God rejected him God had already rejected Saul it's in the book of Samuel tells us why it's because he didn't obey God to the letter Saul did not obey God perfectly completely God tells Saul he said, I want you to go out and you're going to fight with, with uh, this army. And Agag is the king. And, and those Amalekites, they were part of, of uh, demonic influence. And God says, I want you to wipe them all out. I don't want you to leave anything with breath because of the demonic influence and because of what they had already done to the nation of Israel. And Saul goes and he wipes out. They win the battle. They are glorious. They capture Agog the king. They wipe. But the people look around and go, man, those are awfully fat sheep. Man, those are, look at those cattle. Whew. And we don't have anything back in, in, in our place that looks like that. I know. Let's disobey God. And we're going to tell him, and this was their own thinking, we're going to tell him that we're taking them back so we can sacrifice them to, to you. Now, boy, that, humanly speaking, logically, well, God's got to agree with that. Why, we're, we're going to bring Agog back so that we can make an example of him before everybody? God said, don't do it. God said, wipe out all the cattle, all the sheep, every, everything that has breath, I want it wiped out. But in man's mind, and it just kind of shows you how devious and, and destructive religion can be. Lord, we want to, we're going to appease your wrath. We have a better way of appeasing your wrath than what you do. We know what you've ordered us to do, but surely this is much better. We're going to bring all of this fat, wonderful livestock back that we can sacrifice to you. Now that was just a little bit of disobedience, but they really did it in order 
to make God happy with them. I'm, I'm sure that was Saul's intent. Was God happy? No. That's basically, God says, I want obedience. I don't want sacrifice. It's not, the, it's not the blood of these lambs. It's not the fatness of them. It's obedience that I want, is what God tells Saul and the nation of Israel after they make him king. But turn with me to 1 Samuel. As we, let's all review. 1 Samuel, just to kind of give you an idea of all the things that, that take place in the book of Samuel. And it, it is a fascinating, fascinating story. 1 Samuel is all about Samuel and his, his faithfulness to God and him doing what God tells him to do. And he is the faithful proclaimer of God's word. 2 Samuel is all about the Davidic reign. It's about the triumphs of David. It is about the transgressions of David. It is about the troubles of David. And it's about the mercy and grace of God. It's about the wars that David had to fight. It's about the family relationships that caused him much pain and regret. It doesn't leave anything out. But as you go through Samuel, you see the word of God being proclaimed and that God's word is what is important. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1. And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. Now, you know the story that Hannah prayed, Lord, I want to give you my child when he's born. Uh, it's, Samuel was probably about 12 years old when uh, Hannah took him to Eli. Uh, the, the whole idea of weaning that was preparing him for doing this because as soon as he wasn't a baby, it was not like she took uh, Samuel to Eli when he was a tiny baby and said, here, this is for you. Uh, because as soon as he gets there, he starts serving. And an infant couldn't have done that. And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli and the word of the Lord was precious in those days, and there was no open vision. What the word precious means is costly. It can also mean rare. And when it says there was no open vision, they weren't hearing from the word of God. God was silent to the nation of Israel. There was not a prophet, but oh, did there need to be one here. And so when Samuel goes to Eli, and what does this say about Eli? He was the high priest, yet he was not getting the job done. His sons, they were nothing but evil, evil men. And what, what Eli was, was doing there at the tabernacle, which was still at Shiloh, had not been moved to Jerusalem yet. Well, it was atrocious, the things that his son was doing. So the word of God was rare. The word of God was not being spoken. It was precious in those days. Means of great value. Means of great value. Samuel comes on the scene. And look at 1 Samuel 3, verse 19. 1 Samuel 19. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and did let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, 
knew that Samuel was established to be a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again to Shallow, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shallow by the word of the Lord. Which we just heard that it was rare. Christ Jesus being the living word. He, he is the word of God. God raises up Samuel in order to get the message to Israel of what God expects, what God wants from them, how God wants to bless them, how God wants to rule them, how God wants to lead them. And everyone understands that Samuel is from from God. So the word of God just begins came important as Samuel spoke the word of God to these people. Now, I think it's interesting. There are five things in the scriptures that God calls precious. I think this is interesting. There are five things in the scripture that God calls precious. The word precious there in the Hebrew is yakar. It it literally means heavy in price. Heavy in price. Rare. Valuable. Costly. That's the idea behind the Akar. Five things in the Old Testament, it says, are valuable, are precious. Number one, we just read it the Word of God. Psalm 49 8 tells us something else that God calls precious. For the redemption of their soul is precious and it ceases forever. It goes on. It's, it's always valuable. It never ends. Your soul is precious. His word is precious. Your soul is precious to God. The death of his saints. Psalm 116 verse 15 tells us that precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And I got news for you. That includes anyone and everyone who knows the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. Saints has nothing to do with a group of people who have been canonized and, okay, they were such a good person and, and their deeds, uh, why that... They, that allows them to, to be called a saint. It has nothing to do with that. What makes you a saint is that you trust the Lord Jesus Christ and you are separated. The whole word saint, hagios, means separated unto God. And that's what this is. Precious in the, de- precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. I believe God loves having you back with him. All of our loved ones who've passed on, friends and family members who have passed on that we mourn and we grieve for. While we're mourning and grieving, I am convinced that God and, and all the host of heaven are rejoicing, welcoming them home. To me, that's comforting to know that it is precious in the sight of the Lord. It's valuable for him to welcome his saints home. Proverbs 20, verse 15, the lips of knowledge are precious. The lips of those who speak wisdom, those who study God's word, 
That's precious. The thoughts of, and I love this one, Psalm 139, 17. Five things the scriptures call precious. How precious are all thy thoughts unto me, O God, how great is the sum of them. Now, what's interesting about that verse, and really all of these verses, Psalm 49, 8, uh, Proverbs 20, 15, they were either being quoted by David during 2 Samuel, that's where all those fit in, or Solomon later on in in the last part of 2 Samuel and part of Chronicles. That's where all those fit in. These These guys were thinking about those things. It was David that said, How precious are all thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! Exactly when he said that, we're not sure who he was running from. We're not, we're not sure which battle he was raging, was being raged around it. We don't know which difficulty he was having. But here's one thing he does know, is that God's thoughts are precious toward him. And it is David that we know to be the apple of God's eye. That he was so special to God himself. Matter of fact, that's how we understand David to be a type of Christ because the scriptures tell us that, that, that David was the apple of God's eye and how he used him and moved on him. Just as Christ was declared to be, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So much of it parallels God using David and it's David's throne that Christ is going to sit upon when he's ruling and reigning in Jerusalem. How great is that? All of that is established in First and Second Samuel, First, Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. We're going to see all of that play out. And all of the, whether it be Isaiah or Jeremiah or Zechariah or Obadiah, you name the Old Testament prophet, as we get into Second uh, Samuel and on, we're going to show you where does Isaiah fit in there? What was going on in Israel when, when Isaiah came along and started prophesying and warning the southern kingdom, don't you do what the northern kingdom did? What about Jeremiah when he weeps? He weeps over Judah as Judah is about to be carried into captivity, which is what Chronicles is all about. As a matter of fact, from 2 Samuel to 2 Kings includes the same amount of time as First and Second Chronicles. Does that make sense? The book of Kings approaches the same characters, the same events, with the same prophets, declaring the righteousness of God and warning Israel as, from a political standpoint, the book of Kings is political. It deals with the power struggles that are going on. Chronicles deals with it from a religious standpoint. God warning, God calling back. It's from a priestly role. Ezra more than likely being the author. And as you read through all that, you see the condition they're in. Yes, we have it set up so that here you have 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, and 1st and 2nd Chronicles, but there's a whole bunch of the Bible that's placed in within those 
historical time frame when God is calling out His people. He's begging them to look to Him. He, will, he is blessing them. He has His prophets that are declaring His truth all the way through it. The Lord Jesus is the Word of God declaring the righteousness of God. And if Israel would only repent and return to Him and remember Him, how blessed, how blessed they absolutely would be. In chapter 3 of 1 Samuel, we, we see that the Word of God was precious. and How absolutely necessary it was. Chapter 8 of 1 Samuel. There's a big change that takes place. By this time, Samuel starts out with Samuel as a baby. And then by the we get to chapter 8, enough years have gone by that Samuel is old. And he's ready to pass away. Verse 1, and it came to pass when Samuel was old, but he never quit preaching the word of God. He never backed down. Even if the cost to him was great and grave, he never backed down. And just, and just to show you how difficult it was, I mean, Eli's sons were perverts. Eli here was a man of God, but his sons were wicked. It shows you the draw. It shows you how Israel had fallen into such sin. So were Samuel's. Samuel's sons were so bad that the whole nation of Israel said, we don't want them as judges. We reject them as judges. That was heartbreaking for Samuel. That's when God said, then you're going to be my prophet. But look what happens to Samuel here. What a change. And it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his son judges over Israel. And now the name of his firstborn was Joel and the name of his second uh, Abiah. And they were judges in Beersheba. And his sons walked not in his ways but turned aside after money. After money. And took bribes and perverted judgment. Reminds you of the politics of today, doesn't it? There's nothing new under the sun, folks. Nothing new under the sun. And then all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel unto Ramah and said unto him, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. We want a king. Now here's what's interesting. Under the judges... Every man was responsible for his own actions. Every man was responsible for his own actions. When you have a king, oh, the king made me do it. Then it's the king's law. It's what the king says. And if the king is not righteous, you're in a heap of trouble. If the king is not following God's mandates, why, you're just going to get, you're going to slip further and further and further away from being the nation that God has called you to be, from being the nation that God wants to have as an example of His mercy and His grace and who He truly is. And the nation of Israel said, we don't want your boy, Samuel. We want our own king, just like all the other nations. 
have you looked around and seen the other nations? Uh, not good. Not good. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken unto the voice of the people and all that they say unto thee. For they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. By the way, in Luke 19, 14, what did they do with Christ? With the, the, with the, the parable that the Lord used about the king that went away? And came back, and what did, the, what did the nation of Israel say? We will not have this man to reign over us. Talking about the Lord Jesus. But now, with, Sam, with, with Saul, we want a king to reign over us. Where they're going to reject the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Verse 9, the Lord says, hearken unto their voice. Howbeit, yet protest solemnly unto them, and show them the manner of the king that shall reign over them. Samuel, you're going to anoint Saul. But before you anoint him, I want you to show them exactly the kind of character he is, what they're getting. You know what? There's no doubt in my mind that he was a great speaker. There's no doubt in my mind that he was big and handsome and strong and, and a natural-born leader that all the world and all the Israel would look at and go, hey, he's we want we want him. He's the natural leader. That's why we use the verse that we did today, where God says, Samuel, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. See, God had David in mind. David, he was going to raise up. David, he was going to utilize. David is the, is the king he was going to put on the throne. A man after God's own heart. A man that God could lead and direct and work through. Even though David was going to have problems galore. He was going to do things that were not good. But God was still going to work through David. Still going to do his work. Through David. And in 2 Samuel, we find David serving God. The political situation is such that it's just absolutely disturbing. And at the end, David dies, and it's Solomon that steps in to his place as the king. And we see Solomon's life with 700 wives and 300 concubines. Excuse me? Excuse me? Solomon started out as the wisest man that ever lived. And you go through the book of Proverbs and you read the Proverbs that came from Solomon uh, you compare Proverbs with Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes talk about vanity. Vanity, all is vanity. Uh, the book of Proverbs is, I recommend that we read them and read them and read them over again because of the direction and the guidance and the wisdom that's there for us to live in our daily lives. Then you, then you read about Solomon and how much evil he got into. 
why it is just a, a terrible thing. Terrible thing. But it's during David's life that he's writing many of these psalms that we cherish. It's during Solomon's life that he writes some psalms, but he also writes Proverbs. And where does Ecclesiastes, during Saul's reign, where does that full in, fill in? So you get a picture of what's going on and the absolute need for the Word of God and how God is dealing with each one of these characters. And that brings us to the close. Because as I look at this and I study this, and I see God's dealings with Samuel and his problems and with Saul and him just directly disobeying God. And then after he disobeyed God, then he went to the witch of Endor. And that is inexcusable. And it was, not, it was right after that that Saul is killed in battle. But you see all of these people and with that relationship with God and God reaching out to them and it just God requiring obedience David, obedience but David falling and Solomon, God blessing him willing to use him and we look at all of the human frailties and the human failures and we read this history and the overwhelming thought is how desperate Man is to know God and to follow God. And examples, according to 1 Corinthians 10, for us to study and see the things that are going on in their lives and say, Lord, I don't want to be like Saul. Lord, I don't want to be like Solomon. I don't want 700 wives and 300 concubines. No, sir. One's plenty. But what their lives show us is our need for God, our need for Him. And as we go through all of that, we're going to be scratching our heads and going, what were these people thinking? As Isaiah is pouring his heart out, as Josiah, the king of Judah, is crying out to his people, what were they thinking? Why is it that these strange gods, Baal, and, and all of the others, do, that they go chase after when they have the true and living God? And you know what? That question is still the same today. Why do people follow after strange gods and refuse and reject the God who loves them and who went to such extremes in order to purchase their redemption? just shows you man's overwhelming need for God's grace and mercy. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you how you lay it out. We thank you, Father, how we can read such highlights and such glorious truths and such miraculous events. But Father, we can also see the frailty and the failures and how they need you all the way through this. 
But Father, how we love finding you is that faithful proclaimer, that sovereign ruler, that King of kings, that Lord of lords, the one who directs. And that Father, your plan, your purpose before the foundation of the world was to provide a way that we can be reconnected, Jew and Gentile, to you through Christ Jesus, your only begotten Son, the one in whom you are well pleased. Father, as we study this, may we be tuned in to our need and your provision. Father, may we not focus on their sin as much as we do your forgiveness and your leading and your mercy. And Father, we pray the same for here this morning. Father, if there's anyone here who's never by faith trusted you, that this will be the moment that they'll say, yes, Lord, I believe. They will not put it off another moment. Father, there'll be no one here that says, well, I've got to go out and do this work. I've got to go out and do this deed. I've got to go, I've, I've got to do something to pacify God's holy wrath. God's, I've got to do something to pacify God's righteousness. I'm not ready yet. Father, may they understand that it's already been accomplished in Christ Jesus. That that's what the salvation you offer to mankind in this present dispensation of grace. Father, that's what it's all about. It's not what man does, it's what you've done. And may we boldly proclaim that as long as there's breath within us. Thanking you for your faithfulness to save to the uttermost. And we pray these things in Christ's holy and precious name. Amen.